This is Adam Quadic from the Commercial Real Estate Podcast. The episode you're about to hear was originally a video interview. We are doing a series of webinars with the Real Estate Forums in their Thought Leadership Series. We've had a number of high-profile guests on so far with many more to come. If you prefer to see the live video, you can watch it at realestateforums.com. Whether you watch it or listen to it, the content is great. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Good afternoon. I'm George Krispolowski, and welcome to the ongoing series since April of Canadian Real Estate Forum webinars. Our focus today will be on a unique area of logistics that has been an impact on the owners and operators of many buildings. After two years of software and hardware development, Snaily Canada launched its smart parcel locker solution in 2017 with the goal to provide a secure automated receptacle for parcel deliveries. Leveraging technology and the Internet of Things, the company has seen huge adoption in the space. The pandemic has accelerated Snaily's growth due to the escalation in the delivery of packages as a result of online shopping, along with the need for touchless package delivery and parcel management solutions for office, apartment, and condominium buildings, among others. What are some of the lessons that Snaily has learned over the past year? How are building owners and operators rating package lockers as a solution? Where do last mile logistics need to head from here? As many see continued growth in online shopping and therefore package deliveries going forward, Patrick Armstrong will provide some insights on this solution-based conversation. An accomplished entrepreneur and business leader, Patrick has continued with delivering an impressive success in his portfolio across multiple industries. Since 1999, he has helped to develop and launch five companies which have all enjoyed both acclaim and distinction. His leadership as both chief executive officer, director of product development and business strategy contributed to these companies' enduring success stories. He will be interviewed by Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic of First National Financial, Canada's largest non-bank lender. Over the past three years, they have also built Canada's largest and most popular commercial real estate podcast, having conducted over 120 interviews. Today's session is being recorded and will be available for on-demand viewing. You'll be notified by email tomorrow with a link to the archive. Please pass the information along to other colleagues who are not able to watch today's presentation. And with that, Patrick, Aaron, and Adam, the floor is now yours. Thanks, George. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Patrick, thanks for joining us. I'm excited about this. This is unique. You know, Adam and I, like George said, we've done a lot of these, but your story, your background, your business is, I think, something that is just, it's kind of ancillary to the commercial real estate world, but very important in today's age. And so looking forward to this conversation. Anyway, thanks for coming on. Looking forward to this. Well, thanks guys for having me. Thank you, Informa and First National and Aaron and Adam for having me on. And so I will let you guys take the floor. Well, let's start. I mean, we always like to sort of lay a platform, lay groundwork. So, you know, you've got a pretty storied background, uh, as George alluded to, sort of five successful I don't know, enterprises, companies that you've created. Why don't you just go backwards, start from the beginning. Sure. How did you end up being the serial entrepreneur that you are today? 
Well, you hit the nail on the head. So yeah, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've had one job in my life at TD Bank Mortgage Backed Securities, fresh out of university. I don't really yes, know how big. I... Well, <laughs> yeah. Everybody has so a I, at some point. I know, except for I'm going to squash it a little bit because I have no idea how I got there. I think it was mostly because I was bilingual and they needed someone who could speak French in Toronto. And I ended up with the job, but I did 10 months there. And during that 10 months, I started my first company, which was called CompuBid, which was buying and selling construction materials online. So we built a portal where you could basically enhance the fax process of purchases. So they would put out to tender and then the suppliers would bid and they would all do this by fax. So I built the first portal in Canada for that, which I later sold about two years after that. But this is actually my seventh company. So not my fifth, but it's my seventh. But I guess my whole goal is to conceive, start, build, and package up businesses to sell eventually, hopefully. And so I sold my last company in 2013 to a competitor, which had nothing to do with Snaily, but it was a software and hardware play in military headsets. And so it seems like my companies always have a hardware and software component. So from 2013 to 2016, I didn't do much other than sit in the hot tub and train for triathlons. And then I could, I felt my brain getting soft. So I started to ponder solutions that I could come up with to solve problems with technology. It didn't matter what industry or whatever. And that's right around the time where the Deepak Chopra led Canada Post started to roll out their community mailboxes and phasing out the 32% of Canadians that were still getting home delivery. And so I thought that those Canadians that were going to switch from getting mail at their house to have to go to a community mailbox, they would not be happy. And so I thought we could put technology in those boxes to at least notify them when they had mail instead of them having to go out to the box and verify if there was mail or not, you know, it might not be there and you've wasted your time and driven and gas and emissions and all this stuff. So we uh, developed this software and hardware and uh, we launched in 2017. And shortly after launch, the liberals came into power and they put a moratorium on the community mailbox rollout, which then threw a lot of cold water on my project, which was snaily, I guess, iteration one. And so I was shelving Snaily's technology and saying, you know, this isn't really going to work here in Canada. And I, you know, that was it. But I ended up getting around that same time an email from a fellow by the name of Patrick Bartlett. And he was the former Canada Post border free president. And he had, by happenstance, got a flyer in his community mailbox that we had sent out as marketing pieces. And he wanted to know what this snaily was all about. So I tell him all about it. But I said, but I'm done with it. I'm shelving it because the moratoriums on the boxes, it's not as sexy as when I, you know, when I developed it. And he said, no, 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 no. You got to roll with this because Canada, it's not only Canada that has this problem. It's the rest of the world. So we said, OK. So we hired him as a consultant and we went and actually landed some international contracts with, with our device down to up smart postal operator mailboxes because they're all dumb around the world, right? So we upsmarted them. And so that was the direction the business was going. And then we started to market to builders to put them into the, in Canada, to put them in the letter boxes that they were all mandated to put into their buildings. But the builders were like, you know, that's nice and all, but we want it turnkey. And, we, you know, we're talking about these parcels are too big. So we need you to put the tech in a metal box 
and give us the whole thing. So we said, okay. So we started to figure out how to purchase metal boxes. So we outsourced that and had them made. You know, we started initially in Asia having them made, and now we've expanded to making them also in Canada. But nonetheless, we started putting these metals into an assembly line in Mississauga and stuffing them with our tech that we had built to upsmart legacy boxes. And we had landed a couple contracts and I was doing the marketing and stuff for the company when I received an email back from my efforts from by the name of John Love, which I'm sure everybody knows. And I didn't know who he was, but he had invited us in to, to show us the product and said he had been purchasing a US product and wanted to see what we had. And so it was difficult for us to come in and show them what we had because we didn't really have anything much. We had a couple installs, but we were new. So I had the engineers build a mini snailing. And so I said, make me a portable box with all our tech that I can take with me in, in my truck. And so they said, no problem, no problem. They welded me up one in Mississauga and the thing was a hundred pounds. It was so heavy. We had to get a dolly. And anyway, we rolled this thing into Kingset and we showed how our software worked with the hardware. They liked it. They did some due diligence. They did some site visits. And that was our first big company contract for 99 Gerard Street in Toronto. So that was our first big one. And not by like a big company, not by a dollar value, but big company purchasing our product. And that was sort of like when the bells went off and said, okay, well, obviously there's a market here. And so we really focused on Canada and parcel lockers, you know, late 2017 and started to roll. So that's sort of our history. We grew it from then 2017 to now we're an eight figure business on the parcel side only in Canada. So that's gone well in two and a half, three years. But it was all because of Patrick Bartlett, who told us not to quit. And John Love, who gave us a chance on the big builder side, the big developer side. And that's sort of the history of how we got to here today. I haven't heard the term upsmart before in regards to mailboxes. You must just see a giant market out there then because, you know, I've not encountered anything other than mostly, you know, dumb technology when it comes to mail delivery. So when you see this vast country, these vast opportunities, COVID aside, where obviously you've accelerated, how fast was your growth before? What was market acceptance? You know, would, would most people jump on it when they realized what it could do for their building? Yeah, I think... It's changed a lot, not only because of COVID, but the early adopters were certainly in the rental space. So they were using it as a new amenity, you know, presumably to attract more tenants, presumably to increase rent. So those were the sort of the original adopters, the early adopters. The developers then started to see that and wanted their condos to be smart also. And now the COVID has really pushed the existing condo into this because they're the ones that are seeing now all of this parcels that are piling up, which are, you know, fire code violations, which are respect to excessive combustibles or, you know, blocking egress routes, you know, they've got theft issues. So I think that the growth in Canada, I mean, we're probably five years behind the States anyway, on the multi-res side or multi-family side. So that certainly has a lot of runway to go. And then we're also behind on the retail, which is focused by online pickup and store. In terms of upsmarting, I don't know if that business is going to be a lot or not. The trouble is postal operators are behemoths and super slow to adopt new tech. They're also governed by unions a lot of the time and unions make decisions in their bargaining agreements, which then don't allow post operators to do anything for five years. Like, I mean, it's a real pain process. Even if we look at Canada Post and the union, which 
they had agreed, I think the last collective bargaining, that they would not look at flexible delivery or pickup routes, meaning that even if you upsmarted a mailbox, like a letter mailbox for outgoing mail, that you could tell the postal operator that that box was not full, so don't go visit it today. The unions have said, we don't want that. So the unions have said, we're going to visit all the boxes regardless. So to get new tech into these companies is painful, to say the least. And a lot of them want to control the tech, which might not be what the market wants, but they don't see it that way. You know, So if we look at like buildings in Canada, Canada Post does not officially deliver to any third-party mailbox. They won't deliver to us officially. It happens, but it's not official. Whereas we're officially integrated and partners with PureLater and Telcom, who does a lot of Amazon, with FedEx, with Canpar. They're all official contracted partners, which means they deliver. And it means that there's a, the liability component has been absorbed also because we are the receptacle and taking custody of the parcel. So we have a part of our contract that deals with the liability. So the operator side to go and upsmart their boxes, to get back to your question, I don't think that that market is going to be a big, interesting one for us. I think that the big, interesting market is to develop the verticals in Canada, which are lagging. So probably on the forefront, it's multifamily of adoption of tech. You know, retail super slow. Office is super slow. Office mostly slow in my estimation because it used to be a signature for deliveries were required. And it used to be that the carriers would go up to the office floors to do deliveries. With COVID though, the signatures have been abolished. So it's called the no signature required. That was a trend already happening in the US and hadn't been adopted yet pre-COVID in Canada. It has now been adopted because we want to have uh, distancing, physical distancing due to COVID. But for that to come back, I mean, I don't think the businesses could go backwards now that they've enjoyed this new throughput that we've abolished the signature, which makes it faster to deliver. And, and you know, frankly, you can't even read the signatures anyway, so you wouldn't know who signed for it. So really, it's a moot point. But I think in office, that's a new vertical that's going to happen. And then couple that with the capacity limitations in an elevator, where we can't have too many people in the elevator, which then will make employees entrance into buildings slower. I don't think the carriers will be able to use the elevators as they used to. You know, they're not going to get off on a floor to deliver and then wait for the proper capacity. It means it's too slow. So I think office is a new one. And then, you know, distributed assets, people that have expensive equipment around the city to fix things, they can store them lockers or universities and exams and you know retailers. So I think those are the markets that we'll chase, not so much going back to the upsmart. I suppose I could have made that answer a lot shorter. <laughs> no, 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 there's a lot. On, and I want to, let's, let's, no, no, that's good. No, no, no. And there's a lot to unpackage there. So let's just set an agenda. Let's focus on the multifamily conversion okay. and then let's move to the office because i think Done. there's a lot of interesting lines of questioning along the office because i could just i could see exactly where your brain's going about covid yeah. and the number of times i've gotten an elevator with a courier and i feel bad for the guy he's going to the 12th floor because that's where he's got to go and he stops on the 7th the 8th the 9th and his foot's tapping because you know yeah. time is money for him and yeah. so if he could just throw it into a box on the main floor and get back on his bike and keep going like i can sure. see there's lots of value there right and imagine um, the guy gets off right and then it starts all over. He's got to wait for an elevator again. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. So, so let's finish with office. Let's focus okay. on, on the multifamily and the condo. I want to. I don't think I understand it. And let me just maybe it'll help our viewers. So you talked about upsmarting, and I mean we keep using that word. But if I live in a 1960s apartment building and I've got one of those little metal boxes that's got where the whoever delivers put put yeah. envelopes in or stuffs packages potentially or you know folds my curator delivery and puts it in there. Are you still putting in your tech for sort of notification, smart notification to the tenant 
Or is that just a business? That's kind of where it not, started. Not, yeah, not in that letterbox. So that letterbox is governed by Canadian postal laws, which is mandated to put in one letterbox per unit under whatever our postal regulations are called. And those are governed by Canada Post rules. Right. And they're only for Canada Post. So you, when you mentioned FedEx stuffing, that they can't do that because they don't okay. have a key. So that's the Canada Post side of the business. And then what we're addressing is all the other people. So, you know, Canada Post only does a sliver of all the parcels that come in, whether, you know, they don't deliver stuff like HelloFresh or good food, as far as I know. So those are like the prepared meals. You know, they don't do skip the eats. They don't do FedEx purely at all. Those people are doing parcels. Canada Post is one of the four main delivery companies of Amazon. So we're working with the other three. So we've got about 75% of Amazon. But then there's a whole subset of non-major delivery companies that Amazon uses too, because they got so much volume that we also work. So Canada Post does their own thing, which is letter mail and whatever contracts they have in place. Right. And we do everybody else. So then let's talk about just using my example of a 1960s era apartment building where there might be those little metal boxes on one side. If I'm an apartment owner, I'm looking to improve the amenities in my apartment building. There might be now your hardware on the other side of the foyer. Maybe just talk about what that looks like and how big are they? How many do you put in there? If I've got seven units, use one box or what does that yeah. look like? Is it so, one receptacle per unit? Yeah. So in terms of physical location, we like to be you know, when we go into a building, we got to make sure that the carrier can get in. So currently, the only person that can get in or the only company that can get in is Canada Post because of their legacy letter mail laws, they have a key. So they can get in the building, but nobody else can. So the only way they can get in is the buzz tenant or resident, or there's, you know, some fancy tech we can talk about, which is super cool, but getting access to the locker. So typically they're not necessarily located in the mail room unless there's a concierge that's going to allow FedEx in, or unless there's some smart tech that can open the door. So we should talk about you know that briefly. We have a partner out of uh, Gatineau, Canada, who's got a unique technology which scans the barcode on a parcel. So the carrier comes with the barcode. That barcode's a tracking number. Their tech via API connects back. So let's pretend it's FedEx. And then the API returns a yes or no, this parcel's out for delivery. And if it's a yes, their tech can open the door. So that solves the entry. And now we can put the lockers anywhere. But if that doesn't exist, then we physically locate them in the wind vestibule where it's unlocked. Sometimes they're outside. Sometimes they're in a converted move-in, move-out room that the outdoor door open during business hours, closes at night, but the inside door to the resident area is always fob closed. So access is definitely important if there's especially when there's no concierge. But then the way we size it is depending on the unit count in the building and then the age demographic of the resident. So it used to be, you know, so we get data from our partners, which makes us also unique too. So we get volume data by FSA code and we also get sizing parcel data by FSA code which is the first three digits of the postal code here in Canada, that comes in from our part. And so then we can figure out what's a metric to service a certain type of building and this certain type of SSA code and what's the parcels in this and that, whatever. So it used to be that we could service really well a sort of a millennial type building, young professional building with 30% of units in compartments. So it's a pooled system. And so the carrier comes in and for that particular delivery to say unit 302, uh, they need a medium compartment today. They would select 302, medium compartment, door would open. That compartment now is reserved and we're holding custody for 302. And that's where our contracts come into play for liability because we're in custody now. So if there's a problem, the carrier wants to make sure they've approved the receptacle 
and the building wants to make sure that the liability has been covered. So that's a formality that Snaily has that nobody else has in Canada. So super important. But then that parcel is now in custody with Snaily until that resident comes and picks it up. Once they pick it up, that medium compartment goes back in the pool and it's available for the next delivery. So 30% in a millennial building was awesome pre-COVID. 25% in a mixed age demographic was great. And in an older, sort of an old ager home or you know a downsizer home or whatever, 20% worked really well. COVID, that doesn't work. So I think it's too early for us to adjust our metrics across the board. We always tell our customers, listen, this isn't really working anymore today. And the reason it's not is that before COVID, Pitney Bowes has something called a parcel volume index where they track global parcel volumes. They estimated about 17 to 26% or 27% growth per annum through till 2021 or something was the, was the metric. So COVID hits in March. We looked at our metrics from comparing same building May 2019 to same building May 2020. Our volume was up 57% in that same building. So it just shot up way past the Pitney Bowes stuff. So now we're in the 57% range. And, you know, that's backed up by StatsCan data. So StatsCan has e-commerce value, sales value, up 110% for that same period, May 2019 to May 2020. And so we're seeing that. So when we talk to a customer now, you know, we tell them the pre-COVID numbers, this worked really well. Here are the COVID numbers, it doesn't work so well. So now let's decide, are we ever going to come back to pre-COVID or not? I don't think we're going to come back ever because I think that there's a lot of pressures from that are going to keep it up. I don't know if we'll stay this high, but certainly the loss of retailers that we're seeing, you know, there's a lot of retailers going out of business, which is super unfortunate, but also the the newfound convenience that people that maybe didn't buy as much online are now buying online. So, you know, like for me, I've always been an avid online shopper, but I never bought groceries, but now I do. So I'm not alone, right? So there's a lot of people that are, you know, or my mother-in-law had never bought online and she would call us over during COVID to like figure out how to put the credit card in, but now she does it herself. So I think that we will never come back down to pre-COVID numbers in terms of e-commerce volume into multifamily. How much down? I don't know. So right now we're sort of saying like, let's bump everything up 5%. So if you're a millennial demographic building, let's use the 35%. Then we'll preface it with, are you a condo or are you a rental? Because if you're a condo, that problem the developer is solving is getting passed to the condo corp. So really, it's not their problem once it's a condo corp. So does it make sense for them to buy a whole bunch of equipment today that's future-proofing a condo corp that they're not involved in? Probably not. But if you're a rental, that's a different problem because now you are the person who's going to manage this problem. So it probably makes sense that you guys are looking two years down the road if you're in the rental business today, because we already know we're going to get there, COVID or no COVID, because we're already growing at 20% an annum anyway. So depends. I think I answered your question. I talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect kind of guest, though. You want somebody to talk a lot. <laughs> 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 I've got an extension. So Aaron asked the question about 1960s build. You know, when an owner of a yeah. 1960 build apartment shows up, what do you do for them? What about, and you just kind of addressed it a minute ago, what about when you get, you know, a developer who's really tuned into the fact that smart parcel delivery is pretty much table stakes now for better buildings, for buildings that, you know, as you identified, attract a lot of millennials. So if they come to you early in the process, you've got, you know, a clean palette to work with. You're not trying to jam your square product into an old 1960s build circle of a building. What do you do there that's different than what you do on a older build? 
that's a good question. We're still wading through that. I mean, the market's still catching up. But like an old build, 1950s, they surprisingly have a lot of room in the basements. So the only company that doesn't like to go to the basement or refuses sometimes is our national provider. All of the other companies, the for-profit, we'll call them, you know, the FedExes of the world, they just kind of want to deliver. So if you put it down in P1, that's cool. There's a subset of buildings like kind of like after that, like the 80s, maybe late 70s, 80s, that they don't have any room. So they have the tiny, tiny lobbies. And so in those places, typically they're converting some sort of room, like an office for something that they just don't really need, or they're putting them outside, which happens a lot. If we're not concerned about vandalism, that's okay. We're not really concerned about security so much. We've never had a break-in. We've had a couple attempts, but they just don't get in. We're about twice as thick as a standard mailbox. We're individually keyed. We've got surveillance and we've got alarms. So we haven't had a theft issue with outside. So they would put them outside potentially. Or, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work. Like an old building, there's, you know, some older buildings you'd see at the, like, uh, you know, Avenue Road and Eglinton area, those little guys out there. There's just no room. So then we get into the under construction buildings. So buildings that were like designed and still be, say, two years ago, they don't really have a lot of space either. Or maybe three years ago that are being built now like you know they're close to being capped off or they're being finished so typically in those buildings they're dropping something so we've got customers that are dropping the recycling room or the stroller room or the you know they're getting rid of some of the bikes or they're converting bike cages to lockers you know we've done that with ship lake and then you've got the buildings that are being designed now and maybe they were designed a year and a half ago two years ago and they're putting in parcel rooms so they've given us, you know, a lot of room, sometimes tons of room. And then we look at that and we say, are we going to be able to service 100% of the parcels? Probably not. So we've got some oversized issues. And so we control that. We would suggest you put in a parcel room, which can be tethered back to the locker. So the locker can open that parcel room for someone to stick a couch in. Or it could also be managed by the concierge as a separate thing. So you know, our customers decide how they want to do it. Do they want it to be a parcel room managed by the locker? Sure, no problem. The issue with that is a potential for theft because now we've got couriers going in. We've got a bunch of residents going in, fiddling through other people's packages. And even though you've got security cameras, you've got this stuff, it's still not a one-to-one relationship. Like someone puts in their one code, but they get access to all the parcels. So there is potential theft, confusion, loss, whatever. And I mean, because the delivery companies also can make mistakes, it might be the wrong parcel that's in there that we don't even know about. And we don't know who it, like, it just becomes confusing. So it's always better to do most of the, the stick handling with lockers and have a, a digital room. So in your case, the new buildings are typically like that. They have a parcel room, a parcel locker room, and then they have a oversized parcel room. Whether or not Snaily controls that room or not, that's up to the customer. Another long-winded answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the perfect, like Adam said, Patrick, that's the perfect guest is something that makes our job easy. We have to ask less questions. <laughs> perfect. You should just turn off your cams and I'll just take it from here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you, who needs me, right? Yeah, no, and my brain's spinning a little bit because I, I, I have multiple different questions. I guess one is, what happens if someone just leaves their parcel in that one locker and just never goes and gets it? Like, is there a time period where the delivery comes back and picks it up or do they just pay for it? Like, I guess maybe that's the next step. If I, if I don't come down and get it the same day and I let it sit there for two weeks and no one has access, I mean, that causes a bit of a cog in your process, right? Yeah. So how do you handle so, that? 
Well, we'll start by prefacing my answer with our entire network. So we're over, I mean, by the end of December, we'll be well over 300. You know, we're installing 24 this month, 42 next month. That'll put us at, you know, 320, 330 or something like that. If we looked at our entire network, our throughput is 19 hours on average. So typically someone orders something, they want it. and But because we're pushing out an electronic notification, it prompts them to get it. And so our default is a 24-hour notification, like, hey, every 24 hours, every 24 hours. But if there's ever, we start to see that there's a capacity issue, then we bump that up to like 12 hours and that typically helps. So we don't have like a big problem with that storage. But to deal with it, there are several ways to deal with it. And, it's, and we leave it up to our customers to decide how they want to deal with it. We give them the tools. So the first tool is this notification, let's make it more often. The second tool is we can start charging rent for them after X amount of days. The challenge with that is that you need to have the residence credit card information to build them. And that is always a challenge to get. And so that's a long process for buildings to implement that. The third tool we have is a sort of a show me aging parcel report tool. So the building manager would say in the administrative settings, I want you to send me a report snaily to my email of all parcels that have sat for five days. And then they can look at that report. We also have a, a way sort of like a resident is on vacation setting that they can also put in. So all of these tools together, I guess we just don't really have that problem of a, it, it, it keeps things moving. Like your whole, yeah, whole business. things are moving and, you know, it's also related back to like the economics here. If someone's paid a couple million bucks for their condo, you're not going to be kicking their parcel out because they're in Florida. You just deal with it. Like it's just, it is what it is. And same with rents, right? If someone's paying big rents for their place, can't be start kicking their parcel out. I mean, it's just not good service. So typically the leniency to this is related to the money. So, you know, an expensive condo, the property manager says, oh, whatever, it's expensive condo. An expensive rental, ah, it's an expensive rental. So the leniency is not. And if we look at like the low rent stuff, they typically don't get lockers because the landlords don't want to spend money. And so, you know, kind of all fits in together properly as you would expect. Well, related to that question, Patrick, you know, when you describe it to me, it makes perfect sense. Tenants, amenities, like this all makes sense to me. When you're walking through developers, we'll talk about specifically developers' offices, how long does it take for this concept to click? You know, is it most people are just kind of grabbing at it and go, yeah, like my tenants need this or, or my venture condo owners need this? Or is it a bit of a battle uphill? Developer, condo developers, I'd say it's a mixed bag. Some of them, you'd be surprised, say this isn't for us. This is for the property manager to deal with. So you wouldn't sell it to us. We'll put you in touch with the property manager. That I'd say is still out there. But the leading ones, the big ones, you know, the not I mean, not all big ones. The forward-thinking ones are definitely, I mean, like I said, they're designing parcel rooms. They come to you and they say, this is my parcel room. How many parcel lockers can you put in it? And what do you suggest? And then, you know, when we get back to the rentals, again, the ones that are like sort of the, I don't know what we call them, the lower rent ones, they don't really care. They're like, this isn't my problem. It's my tenant's problem. So they just don't care. So I suppose they start to follow suit too when it becomes demanded. And, you know, if I lived somewhere, I would certainly want to be able to receive my parcels. Like, just because I live in a building doesn't mean I should have to go and get it somewhere. Like, I mean, that makes no sense. There should be provisions in the building. I live there. It's my house, right? It shouldn't be any different than a single family household. So I would say that, like, the higher rent people, the forward-thinking developers or landlords, they're all, they understand this. They see it's coming. 
the architects are now putting them into the drawings. And I would say, I would say, you know, more than half of the developers are on board, but there are big ones that you would think, and they're not, they're just not seeing it as their problem, which I suspect will change. And I won't ask you to name and shame the ones that aren't forward thinking, but maybe you want to highlight some of the players, the bigger name players, the market that are participating in this, are putting this forward for their customers ultimately. Yeah. So, I mean, we work a lot with Daniel, Friedel, Eden Shaw, Devron. They're all putting them in. Who else? The Old Oak down. And I guess that's a rental. But those would be like condo ones off the top of my head that I can think of. Most of our customers, I would say, are rental still. You know, so like the King Sets, the Killam, the Mentos, Homestead, Hollyburn, Strategic, Starlight. They're all, we just did a deal with Timber Creek and Trinity out in Ottawa. And a podium, which is student housing, campus suites, student housing. So the, most of them are rentals, but I think also the market is a lot of rentals. I don't know if that's going to change. I mean, rents have come down because of COVID, but I think that, you know, the sentiment that these developers that have money was that if we can afford the land and build the building, let's just keep this annuity and rent and shy away a little bit from condos. So I think that the actual purpose built rentals, I think the starts were bigger than condos recently. I'm not exactly sure about that, but I think I've been told that. But yeah, I mean, it's coming everywhere across the board. I would yeah. Think. yeah, that would make sense. I mean, like Adam said, this makes perfect sense to me. I think anybody and everyone now living in this world with the pandemic is ordering more online, if not exclusively. And there's lots of packages. I mean, I, I've just accidentally got caught with my mute on simply because my dog was barking at a delivery guy dropping a package off at my front door, right? You so, should have had a snaily locker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, it wouldn't stop my dog from barking. Anyway, we've got about 10, 15 minutes left, Patrick. So I want to move on to office because I think that's an interesting development. And I don't know if that was something you planned on when you kind of got into this, but clearly COVID has probably accelerated that need. So maybe just talk us through what it looks like today. Like you've already kind of given us some hints about just the benefit to the couriers yep. and the benefit to the tenants, but how have the landlords, I mean, now you're walking into developers, different developer sets. You just mentioned a whole bunch of you know condo and apartment developers. Yeah. Talk about the Oxfords and the major the Cadillac Fairviews, the major office developers. Yeah. And are they receptacle? Are they taking this on as actively as the multifamily and apartment condo space? In terms of pulling the trigger? No, not pulling the trigger, but certainly the knee is there. So we've obviously had conversations with all of them. I mean, Oxford's already a customer of ours on the residential side. We have half their portfolio. Cadillac Fairview, we have their tool to Canadien in Montreal. We've talked to all of them and we've got proposals in front of all of them. I think that for office, what's going to need to happen is that we're going to need a vaccine because the occupancy in office is super low currently. And you know how business works is if you don't need to spend today and you can defer it till tomorrow, then let's do that. Some of them will do it today. I mean, we've got some POs for today, which I won't mention who they are yet, but they are, uh, you know, they're saying, listen, it's a good time, which I agree with. It's a good time to implement because the volumes are lower so we can deal with the... Well, and if I'm building an office tower today, I've got to assume, I'm thinking long-term and it's different than your condo example because they're owning, presumably they're owning it. You know, and so that, yeah. I'm hoping that they're thinking long term and so they need to just address this. Is there different complications? Because on the multifamily condo side, you've got the individual user like me, you yeah. and Adam versus you've got, you know, corporations. You know, I, I just envision, remember thinking about our First Nationals front desk office that receives the packages. There's a courier, there's a line of couriers permanently. Yeah. So it's not like I'm ordering two packages a day and I want to be notified when one arrives in the morning, one arrives in the afternoon. You almost yeah. like just need somebody down there just collecting the packages. So is there are there different 
obstacles, different resistances from the office developers? Yeah. So when we're talking office developers, I mean, I'm going to lump them in with the also the managers of current office. So like, you know, a Collier's or whatever that has office towers. So the big challenge for them and for us, I guess, is that they're sort of stuck where a condo was five years ago. And that was that we have a concierge. We don't need you. So they say that we have a parcel guard. So we have a parcel guard process and our parcel guard handles the parcels. But it's not until they start doing the math, right? So we've done our surveys and our surveys as well as 10 minutes of parcel. So how much is it going to cost? And it's going to escalate. It's going to keep going up and up and up and up and up, right? So, so, you know, they're where they were several years ago. But the other thing that we can also bring to the table to sort of make this better. So if we look at like Ontario Power Generation is one of our customers. And so we do their office tower. The biggest one we do is at 700 University is that in office, we don't only have inbound, but we also have outbound. And so in this particular scenario at IOPG is that we've partnered with FedEx, Purelator, and Canpar to then do the outbound stuff. So now we can manage the ins and the outs all from one central location, which is unique. I mean, it happens in residential, but not as much, right? So you probably have an, almost an equal amount of outbounds that you do inbounds in an office tower. And so if you could put that all in one self-serve repository, which is Snaily, then we sort of hit the nail on both sides here. So we, we solve two birds with one stone, right? And so that's a challenge that we've overcome in office. And that was because we were partners with the carriers to be able to do that. So I think that some will, in short, again, my long answer is that some of the forward-thinking offices will say this is a great time to implement because the volume is a little bit lower. We can iron out the bugs. Snaily can do the work on the carrier side. So if it's a carrier partner, we don't use, you know, so local deliveries, you know, we use, we've done a deal with Roadrunners. So they're integrated. They're a local Toronto guy, a carrier, but there's going to be a million of those that we're going to have to deal with. So we can't just put a system in and say, tomorrow we're going to have integration partners for all the outbound. So what it means is going to take some time. So it makes sense for office to start today. We know the problem's coming. We know a vaccine's coming. We've got the, the Pfizer announcements and stuff like that. I mean, I think we're seeing the beginning of the end here. Maybe we're, you know, 12 months out or something, maybe 18, but it will all go back to where we were. And in the meantime, the parcel volumes are coming up anyway. And so when that hits and everybody's going back to the office, like we all want to do, it'd be better for an office to have pre-implemented and ironed out the bugs, done the integration partners, and that they're up and ready and have the capacity to deal with this problem that is ultimately coming. Yeah, and I, again, back to, you know, Adam said it, it makes perfect sense to me. Like, I can't, I just, sometimes I think it just takes time for people to wrap their heads around the adoption process. And the- You're a millennial though, Aaron, that's... Uh, yeah. Me- <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know, and then before we wrap up here, Patrick, I think the last kind of, line of questioning is just around finances. Like, how does this work? If I'm an apartment owner and I want to implement this, am I just buying the infrastructure, the hardware and the software from you and cut you a check and off you go? Or is there like an ongoing maintenance? I'm assuming you've got to constantly be reporting and giving them support on whatever it is they need, a broken receptacle or the hardware or the software is down. I don't know. You tell me. How does that work? So in general, it's a there's a couple different models that float around that are the main models. One is you purchase outright. The second one is lease to own. There's renting. Renting doesn't really make sense to me because this is a long-term asset. So you end up paying the amount of the equipment fairly quick, much sooner than the life expectancy of the equipment. So renting it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then there's the other one that some of the developers do is that they will buy it and lease it back to the condo corp to pay it off. 
So they'll do sort of a sale lease back, I guess you call it, I don't know what you call it. And then there's an ongoing service fee that we charge for the service, which is service software and support. So we get perpetual warranty on the software. We provide 24-7 tier one support, tier two support, tier three support. That's all part of this service fee. It's a nominal fee. And then, you know, there's ways that companies can make money off the lockers, which are things that Snaily works on. And we bring in our partners to do that. Again, not things that we talk about publicly, but available. And so there's a way to sort of defray the cost, but the cost is borne mostly on the building. And it is an operational cost savings because you've gotten rid of the management. You've removed the liabilities that you could have with fire code violations. And there's a lot like when we visit buildings, they are all in violation of either excessive combustibles or egress routes. They've all, well, not all, most report to us that they have a theft problem because parcels are just too many. They're just everywhere. And so that gets rid of that problem. So there is a problem that needs to be solved. So then because there's a problem that needs to be solved, the building is willing to pay. And then because our service fee is minimal compared to having a parcel person, then it all kind of makes sense financially. And then we do some creative things here to defray the cost. And it keeps their tenants happy. So in theory, that's an added bonus as well, right? So Right. Most of the time. Yes. Most of the time, the, the landlords see that, yes. Patrick, before we let you go, I've got one question forward-looking. Right now, you're on the cutting edge of delivery technology. In five years from now, what are you doing? What's your tech going to look like? How are you going to adapt? When the drone delivery starts, how are you going to adapt to that? You know, All the cool stuff that you hear about is always just around the corner. You think about that. How are you gonna He's going to have receptacles on the roof now, right? That's the next. <laughs> we actually have a partner of ours that we have been drawing up. They own a building. And they want to use it as a showcase building. And we are in the sort of conceptual phases of drone deliveries into lockers, which would be the concept being is the locker is double-sided like a rear load. But you would see a typical rear load. It's up for it's a one side is the drone load and the other side is the customer pickup. So it's, it's actually in the curtain wall. But is that going to actually take off? I mean, listen, if you talk to the carriers, they pull up to a, an Amazon warehouse with 18 tractor trailers. So how many drones are we going to have out there? Like, I mean, they're going to be colliding all over the place. You know, the Americans shoot them down like it. I don't know. I think, honestly, I think that eventually we will be able to print a lot of stuff from home. And this whole thing is like over, like, you know, 20, 30 years from now, you get a printer and you say, I want that. And then you just buy the plans. But drone delivery, I'm not really concerned about. In five years time, I'm hoping I'm exited. And that is our goal. <laughs> is to exit in five years, probably to a competitor like my last company was a competitor or somebody that would really like a big network. I'm pretty confident in saying that we're the largest network in Canada at this point. Certainly there's bigger American companies, but they don't have the footprint here that we do. So five years, I'm out and I'm not worried about drone delivery so much. (laughs) (laughs) But the next guy worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, I just can't imagine how, like if we've got 18 tractor trailers today for one company in one distribution area, I mean, in five years, it's going to be 30. That's thousands and thousands and thousands of parcels. Like how would the drones, I mean, it would be like mosquitoes everywhere. Like they'd be everywhere. It'd be crazy. So I guess the answer is five years from now, you're back in the hot tub, not worried about it too much anyway. Yeah, you're making my brains getting soft again. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Patrick, I want to thank you for sharing everything today. You know, as Aaron mentioned right at the start, you know, this is definitely, you know, a part of real estate, devolving world of real estate. It's a very cool. You've managed to definitely latch onto a winner here. And, you know, it'd be great to see you keep going with it. I want to thank Informa for organizing this interview today. 
But last again, thanks a lot, Patrick. Thanks for having me on, everybody. And thanks again, Informa and First National and you, the hosts. Thanks of course. Guys. Back, to, back you, to you, George. Well, thanks very much, Patrick, Aaron, and Adam. That was a very, very interesting conversation. We sincerely appreciated having you with us and providing a most insightful chat on some of the impacts of COVID-19 on the growth of parcel management issues and solutions and how Snaily has played a role in addressing this particular market. As a reminder to all of you, there will be a follow-up email tomorrow that will include a link to view a recording of today's presentation. If you found this event useful, please share it with your colleagues. Once you leave the webcast, a short survey will pop up in your browser window. We would greatly appreciate your feedback on this event. As a brief reminder to you, registration for the 29th Real Estate Forum is still available for $395 for a dynamic program featuring 90 speakers that include 41 presidents, Thomas Friedman, Stephen Polaz, and many others. Check it out on our main website. And while you're there, check out the Real Estate Forums Club with the more than 20 benefits that you receive as a member. This includes saving 20% on registration for all our conferences. So on behalf of the Canadian Real Estate Forums team and all my colleagues remain healthy and safe. Thank you again for joining us today. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.